Just as the driver of a bullock cart ties ropes 
through the nostrils of his bulls to control them. The supreme personality of Godhead binds all men through the ropes of his words in the Vedas, which set forth the names and activities of the distinct orders of human society, Brahmana, Chakya, Vaishya, and Shudra. In fear, the members of these orders all worship the Supreme Lord by offering him presentations according to their respective activities. Purport. In this material world, everyone is conditioned regardless of who he is. One may be a human being, a demigod, or an animal, tree, or plant, but everything is controlled by the laws of nature, and behind this natural control is the Supreme Personality of Godhead. This is confirmed by Bhagavad Gita, where Krishna says, Mayajaksena prakriti suyatesa characharam. The material nature is working under my direction and producing all moving and non-moving beings. Thus, Krishna is behind the material machine which works under his control. Apart from other living entities, the living being in the human form of body is systematically controlled by the Vedic injunctions in terms of the divisions of Varna and Ashrama. A human being is expected to follow the rules and regulations of Varna and Ashrama. Otherwise, he cannot escape punishment by Yamaraja. The point is that every human being is expected to elevate himself to the position of a Brahmana, the most intelligent man. And then, must, and then one must transcend that position to become a Vaishnava. This is the perfection of life. The Brahmanas, Chachya, the Brahmana, Chachya, Vaishya, and Shudra can elevate themselves by worshipping the Lord according to their activities. Sve Karman, Yabhirata, Samsidhim, Labhate, Nala. The divisions of Varna and Ashrama are necessary to ensure the proper execution of duties and peaceful existence for everyone. But everyone is directed to worship the Supreme Lord, who is all-pervading. Yena sarvam idang tatam. The Supreme Lord exists vertically and horizontally, otam protam, and therefore if one follows the Vedic injunctions by worshiping the Supreme Lord according to one's ability, his life will be perfect. As stated in Srimad Bhagavatam, atapumbir dvijasvrishta varnashrama vibhagasaha. Swanushtatasya dhammasya samsidhya hari toshanam. O best among the twice born, it is therefore concluded that the highest perfection one can achieve by discharging his prescribed duties, dharma, according to caste divisions and orders of life, is to please the Lord Hari. The Varnashrama institution offers the perfect process for making one eligible to return home back to Godhead. Because the aim of every Varna and Ashrama is to please the Supreme Lord. One can please the Lord under the direction of a bona fide spiritual master. And if one does so, his life is perfect. The Supreme Lord is worshipable, and everyone worships him directly or indirectly. Those who worship him directly get the results of liberation quickly, 
whereas the liberation of those who serve him indirectly is delayed. The words Namabhibhati are very important. In the Varnashrama institution, there are different names, Brahmana, Chatriya, Vaishya, Shudra, Ramachari, Vihasta, Vanaprastha, and Sannyasi. The Vak, or Vedic injunctions, give directions for all these divisions. Everyone is expected to offer obeisances to the Supreme Lord and perform duties as indicated in the Vedas. Om Agana Timalandasya Gananjana Shalakaya Chakshur Ummilitangena Tasmai Sri Guruvena Maha Jai Sri Krishna Chaitanya Prabhu Nitananda Sri Advaita Gradha Shivasani Gorbhakta Vrinda Hare Krishna Hare Krishna 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 Hare 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 Rama Hare Rama 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 Hare Hare Yamaraj is addressing the Yamadutas who have come to him feeling anger and despair. You may recall in the previous chapter that the Yamadutas were sure they had a clear-cut case. No confusion, no arbitrariness. There was no doubt Ajamil was a most sinful person and therefore the Yamadutas were removing him from his body at the time of death to take him before the court of Yamaraj for judgment. And then, as you recall, because Ajamil at the last moment said the name Narayana, addressing his son in fear, still, because he chanted the last moment. And he also managed to chant without offense. He wasn't chanting to cover his sinful activities. Because of that, the Vishnu Dutas came. So we need to focus on the reaction of the Yama Dutas. First of all, remember they studied the Vishnu Dutas, they looked at their features, their body their behavior, and they said, you obviously are highly elevated beings. Are you demigods? Are you upadevas, sub-demigods? Or are you siddha-satama? Are you servants of perfect persons? We can tell that you're extraordinary. We see your beauty, four-handed, looking just like Vishnu, because the Vishnu Dutas have the liberation of Sarupya. They have the same form as the Lord of Vaikuntha. So the Yamadutas are taking all this in, and they're astounded. Whoever you are, you're extraordinarily saintly persons. Why are you impeding us in our duty? Why are you stopping us from executing in a situation that's so obvious? There's no doubt about Ajahn. There's no gray area. 
whatsoever, <laughs> you know the activities of a job, and we don't have to repeat them. So, stun the Yamadutas are, express, are expressing their shock. And the Vishnu Dutas are also surprised. Who, who are you guys? Don't you understand the way the world works? Each side is thinking, who are you? <laughs> Don't you understand the way <laughs> the universe works? So the Yamadutas are sure. And actually, from one point of view, Speaking on one particular level, the Yamadutas are right. So you have to appreciate the dynamics of the situation. The Yamadutas are correct. When you look at the situation through every lens except the extraordinary lens. And what is the extraordinary lens? Chanting of the Holy Name. That chanting of the holy name, even once, takes the whole situation into another dimension. So, yes, the Yamadutas were correct, but then again, because of this extraordinary dynamic, they were wrong. And the, the Vishnu Dutas knew that. What is this nonsense you're speaking? That Ajamil is fit for you to take to the court of Yamaraj. Uh, how, how can you speak such unintelligent words? So then a whole discussion entails in which both the Yamadutas and Vishnudutas speak to each other. And now Thwarted in their mission, the Yamadutas are reporting to Yamaraj. So this is a real action-packed drama here. You're getting to meet so many extraordinary personalities. You're getting to meet the Yamadutas. You've, you're, you've heard the history of Ajamil, and you're getting to meet the Vishnu Dutas. And now, we're at the court of Yamaraj. And so the Yamadutas are reporting at what is happening. We're your servants. Do you mean to tell us that you don't know what you're doing? Do you mean to tell us that your order can be violated? What kind of master are you? So the Yamadutas were feeling anger as well as despair. Because they said, never has this happened before. Again, we're dealing with something totally out of the normal, out of the reach of the ordinary Vedic injunctions. From the viewpoint of the Vedas and the ordinary prescriptions for human behavior, the Yamadutas were right. But because of the chanting of the holy name of the Lord, the whole situation went into another dimension. So, the, so now the Yamadutas are expressing to Yamaraj 
their despair. They were practically, the Acharyas say, ready to commit suicide. <laughs> so, try to understand their emotions. There was anger, there was disappointment, and there was also despair. And they were actually blaming Yamaraj. This is how mm, bent out of shape they were. I mean, you know that any kind of, in any kind of cultured setting, the juniors don't blame the elders. <laughs> but the Yamadudas felt so devastated that they were actually blaming Yam, Yamaraj. What kind of master are you? We're your humble servants carrying out your order, but your order has been thwarted. Is there something wrong with you? There must be. So they're actually being disrespectful. <laughs> but Yamaraj is very tolerant. And he's actually, Yamaraj is welcoming the opportunity to re-emphasize what the Vishnu Dudas had already told the Yama Dudas about the principles of real Dharma. So what you're going to see in this chapter is Yamaraj underlining what the Yamadudas, what the Vishnu Dudas have already said. The Yamadudas are are bewildered, and they're asking Yamaraj, is there another controller besides you? How can there be more than one ultimate judge? If that's the case, there'll be mayhem, there'll be confusion. One judge says, punish him, the other judge says, set him free, or, or you just don't know what's going to happen. One judge says something and cancels out what the other judge says. How do we know what's up and what's down? There seems to be more than you, Yamaraj. You don't seem to be the ultimate authority. And actually, Yamaraj is glad to assert, I am not the supreme authority. He's glad To make that point, the Yamadudas told Yamaraj that this Ajamil chanted oh, the name Narayana. Oh, Yamaraj was so happy for this because rarely in his work, in his service, does he get to hear someone around him saying the name Narayana. <laughs> Why? Because he only deals with sinful persons and they don't say Narayana. <laughs> so, the Yamadudas wanted to know, well, what, who are you actually in charge of? Aren't you the ultimate? Which is not true. First of all, <clears throat> Yamaraj is not the lord of all living entities. He's the controller of the destiny of only human beings and then again, only human beings that are able to discriminate between right and wrong. 
There can be very uncivilized, savage-like human beings who have no consciousness of what is barbaric and what is not. So Yamaraj is in charge of those human beings who are able, who have the consciousness to discriminate between right and wrong. And among them, you see it narrows down even further, among them, Yamaraj is in charge of the human beings who can discriminate between right and wrong and who are sinful. So Yamaraj explains to his servants, I'm not the ultimate. I'm glad you brought this point up. It's hard for us to understand the Yamadutas condition, yes? Why, they were, why were they so hung up on this? But they, were, they said, never has this happened before. They never have come across a situation where someone chanted the name Narayan right at the last moment and therefore was exempt. A sinful, horribly sinful person, exempt from being taken away to the court of the Omarajah. They were so upset that they were being disrespectful to Yamaraj, one of the twelve authorities on devotional service. What's the use in our being your servants? What kind of master are you? Your, your order, your will can be violated so easily? So Yamaraj is explaining about the ultimate authority that everyone is subject to, the Supreme Personality of Godhead. So he says, he gives the example of a driver of a bullock cart who has put ropes through the nostrils of his bulls to control him. We don't like that applied to us, do we? We want to be free. We want the Supreme Personality of Godhead out of our life. We're like rebellious teenagers who want the parents off their back. <laughs> of course, none of our teenagers are like that, I know. <laughs> we don't want to acknowledge the presence of Supreme Authority we don't want to feel like bulls with a ring in our nose and a rope attached to it. <laughs> and of course, it is true that at the end of Bhagavad Gita, Krishna tells Arjuna, you taste to see Tata Kuru. Think about what I've said in this whole Bhagavad Gita. Deliberate upon it and make your choice. And this choice Reality confuses so many persons, even devotees. Why doesn't Krishna just force me to be Krishna conscious? <laughs> We've gone over this many times. Krishna is the supreme enjoyer. He knows how to get the best love. You don't want forced love. Why should Krishna have forced love? So he has a whole system for bringing about the revival of our voluntary choosing 
of Krishna. So again, let's think of this example. The bull with the ring in the nose and the rope attached and the driver is controlling the bull in that way. The verse tells us, in fear, the members of all the orders, Barnashrama, out of fear, they all worship the Supreme Lord by offering him presentations according to their respective occupational activities. Now keep in mind this verse and purport have a lot about varnas and ashrams. Why? Because the Varnashrama system is the most advanced and scientific system for organizing human society. And the Bhagavatam is not going to let you forget that. What does Krishna explain in Bhagavad Gita? Chapter Varnamayastristam, Gunakarma Bhagavatam. Krishna says that he created this material system. It is a material system, but it's created by Krishna. So, knowing this information, you can look at the whole history, recent history, past few thousand years of human affairs, and see how they are failing at coming up with a kind of social organization that satisfies everyone, purifies everyone, even just keeps everyone peaceful. They can't do it. We look at the world today, and you know, environmental crises, political crises, war always breaking out here, there. People are disturbed about this, disturbed about that. The Bhagavatam will teach you that human society is a failure unless it adopts the actual system of social organization created by Krishna himself. We like to forget that. But more and more the realities of today are pressing us to understand human society is off track. We may be hoping, I'll just give me and my family a little peace and prosperity. Just let me and my family have our home in the suburbs, have our two cars, have our property investments, <laughs> maybe even have our own business, <laughs> our own enterprise, get a little respect from our parents back in India and our relatives. And why we, we'll be satisfied with that. Why can't the world just let us have those things? But more and more we're seeing the world is troubling everyone. There's nowhere to run, nowhere to hide. The fact is that human society is neglecting to understand what is their real aim. In the second canto of Bhagavatam, at the end of one chapter, Shukadeva Goswami tells us that 
Material enjoyment is a polluted aim of life. That sounds very severe, doesn't it? You would say, well, we don't want gross material enjoyment, but what's wrong with a little bit of refined, cultured material enjoyment? But Shukadeh Goswami tells us the whole package is polluted. And because of that polluted aim of life, human society is off track. So let's go back to the example of the animal with the ring in the nose pulling the cart. And the animal is controlled by the cart driver. This is fear. The animal is pulling the cart because of fear. The animal doesn't want to be beaten. And also the animal hopes for some reward. You know the example Srila Prabhupada would often give about the... <laughs> the creature pulling the laundry cart. The laundry cart is loaded up with laundry and the creature is pulling it. Why? So that at the end of the day the creature can get some grass. And the creature doesn't have the intelligence to understand. There's grass everywhere. Why do you have to pull the load all day just to wait at the end of the day to get some grass? We don't like to be compared to that, do we? <laughs> but sometimes you have to ask yourself, what are you working so hard for? What are you trying to achieve? Everyone says, well, money. It's, it's not simply money, it's also respect. You want to be known as having some stature. Social respectability is very important. And the hope for security never ends because we live in an insecure world. Or sometimes, and I've heard it, don't shoot the messenger, but I've heard <laughs> that sometimes spouses bury themselves at the workplace so they don't have to come home early. <laughs> have you heard that? No, no, right. <laughs> I've heard it. <laughs> How one spouse is happy to have a long day at the office because then he or she can delay coming home. And for many persons these days, when before, without taking into account COVID and its remote working, Many persons before that had their work become their home. Home life was secondary, work life was primary. Your main place where you spent more time is the workplace. That was before COVID and remote work is changing everything. We'll see how long that lasts. So the whole point of all this work is what? That you have to ask yourself. Just like you would expect the creature pulling the laundry cart or whatever kind of cart loaded with whatever. The creature is doing this and we have to think about it just to get some grass at the end of the day. At the end of the day, 
the cart driver says, okay, whether it's a mule or a donkey or whatever, now I'll untie you from the cart and I'll tie you to a stake in the ground and you'll be able to nibble on some grass. And then the next morning, back to work, back to being hitched to the cart. The creature is fearful. If I don't do this, I won't get grass at the end of the day. The creature doesn't know. There's grass everywhere. So how will we like that? We're also operating under the fear of controllers above us. Controllers at the workplace. Controllers in the government. Controllers in the tax office. Just like the bullock has fear and therefore the bullock pulls the cart. Similarly, we have fear. We have a ring in our nose. There's a rope there. So Yamaraj is educating us into the realities of material existence and how real human progress is to elevate yourself. As Prabhupada writes in the purport, the point is that every human being is expected to elevate himself to the position of a brahmana, the most intelligent man. And then one must transcend that position to become a Vaishnava. This is the perfection of life. So you hear so much about the various occupational divisions and social divisions, Brahmana, Jaktiya, Vaishya, Shudra, Brahmacharya, Grihastha, Bhana, Prashta, Sanyas, because that's the real human system for elevation. But we've forgotten that to the ignorance and we've constructed a human society that prides itself on material advancement as the goal. Material advancement as a goal, all for material enjoyment. But the laws of nature are very relentless. The result is that the result of this polluted aim of life is that the more we strive for material advancement, the more the laws of nature punish us. This is the system. Because human society is off track. So even though it's trying for material advancement and glorifying material advancement, it's being put more and more in the path of punishment by the laws of nature. The laws of nature, in effect, are saying, we don't care about your technological advancement. You're off track. And what do we say? We care about our technological advancement. That's the track. So now you see where all the tension is coming from, all the anxiety is coming from. There's a massive disagreement on what is the aim of life. And now we're seeing the results of our standing up to material nature and presenting forcefully, enthusiastically, energetically another 
aim of life, which the laws of nature are rejected. So we get to learn all these things through Yamaraja's re-emphasizing what the Vishnu Dudas have already said. He's re-emphasizing that to his bewildered servitors who want to know, are you or are you not in charge? Are there other judges, are there other controllers besides you? If there is, then we're, we've got a big problem. There'll be just confusion in awarding the appropriate punishments to the sinful living beings. So Yamaraj, as I said, is happy for this opportunity to clarify his situation. He's actually very, you can see he's been very sober and self-controlled. His own servitors are disrespecting him. But he takes the essence, the good side of the situation. You want to hear about ultimate dharma. All right. <laughs> and by the way, in your presenting the case history of Ajahnil, you said that he chanted the name Narayana. You mentioned the name Narayana. How rare it is in my work that I, <laughs> I get to hear that. I thank you. <laughs> See, completely different perspectives are going on here. According to where you're at. According to your bhakti. The Vishnu Dudas will come again. Ajahnil will get the opportunity to become more fixed on the Supreme Personality value. He'll get extra time to do that. And then, when, he's, when the fruit has sufficiently ripened, the Vishnu Dudas appear again. This time, Ajahnil is at Hardwar. He left home, his sinful home, and he's in Hardwar performing austerities and fixing his mind on the Supreme Personality Godhead. And when he's reached a sufficient level of bhakti maturation, the Vishnu Dudas come back and they take him to Vaikuntha. So I've been studying, especially in Brihad Bhagavatamrita, I hope everyone who has sufficiently studied Bhagavatam and Jaitanya Charitamrita has the opportunity to read. There, in the purports taken from Sanatana Goswami, we hear that the Vishnu Dutas are always coming. How do we see that? The Devotee in Brihad Bhagavatamrita, who's traveling both the material and spiritual worlds, name is Gopa Kumar. He comes out of the material universe. He passes all, he passes through all the coverings of the universe, and he gets to the abode of liberation, known as Mahakala Pur. This abode, which is outside the shells of the universe, 
is presided over by Lord Mahatala, who's generally, basically speaking, Mahavishnu. But most of those who go to this abode of liberation, it's not Vaikuntha. Most of those who go there, they're blinded by the impersonal Brahman, by the effulgence. Gopakumar was able to see Lord Mahakala sometimes with form, and then at other times the formlessness overwhelmed him. And Gopakumar was feeling, being drawn into merging into Lord Mahakala because this is the abode of liberation. Sayuja. It's not Vaikuntha. It's outside the material world, but it's not the spiritual world of Vaikuntha with relationships and variegatedness. So Gopakumar didn't feel comfortable there because he's a bridge bossy. He's a Galoka Vrindavanite. But he's showing us the various aspects of existence. So now he's in Mahakala Pur, outside the material universe. And the Vishnu Dutas come there. What happens is that Gopakumar is in this Mahakala Pur and Lord Shiva and his entourage, including Parvati, happen to stop by. They're going from Shivaloka, which is outside the material universe. They're going from Shivaloka to Kailas in the material world because Lord Shiva has a great relationship with Kuvera. So they stop by Mahakalapur and they're talking to Gopakumar. And while they're talking to him, they hear these sounds, these extraordinary sounds, which herald the arrival of the Vishnu Dutas. So Gopakumar sees the Vishnu Dutas, and he's overwhelmed with attraction. Who are these beings? Where are they from? I want to go to where they're from. But then, because he's a Vaishnava, he collapses on the ground with humility. I'm not fit to go where, I'm not fit to go to where these personalities come from. I want to go, but I'm not qualified. So then, poverty has Ganesh who's part of the entourage, of Lord Shiva's entourage, explain to Gopakumar who these personalities are. And so Ganesh starts to explain, these are the Vishnu Dutas. And Ganesh points out to Gopakumar, we're outside the material universes, but look, you can see countless unlimited material universes from our vantage point, you can see that because we're in Mahakalapur. We're outside the material creation, but we, we're not in Vaikuntha.
But in this in-between zone, we can see the Vishnu Dudas at work, doing their service. They're entering every universe. You can see that. They're doing that to aid any devotee who has at least once chanted the holy name. Even just a reflection of the holy name, just once, the Vishnu Dudas are always ready to help. So Sanatana Goswami in his commentary explains that devotees just want to offer their service to Krishna without any impediment, without any obstruction. To help them do that, the Vishnu Dudas arrive. And so Gopukumar had this vision. He could see from where he was situated. Countless Vishnu Dudas entering countless universes. And the universes were of different sizes, therefore presided by Brahmins, by Brahmas, <laughs> who had different amounts of heads. In a small universe like this, the Brahma only has four heads. Chaturmukha But, Gopakumar could see Brahmas with eight heads, 16 heads, 32 heads, 64 heads, <laughs> on and on and on. All these different sized universes, but each one, in each one he saw the Vishnu Dudas enter. So, this is real security <laughs> for the devotee. To know that because we're in the material world, there are always obstructions and impediments, yet there's also always help. Whether we see that or not, according to our development in bhakti, according to our advancement in bhakti, we may see or we may not see, but the help is there. So these Vishnu Dutas are going to tell Gopakumar, you actually don't belong here. You know that. You don't belong in Mahakalapur. It's the place for impersonalists, tapaspis, mystic yogis, who don't understand the ultimate goal of life is bhakti, even though they're free from material existence. You don't like it here, Gopakumar. You're feeling the whole pressure of merging because that's really what goes on in this place. Sometimes you're able to see the form of Mahakala, Lord Mahakala. Sometimes you're not. You're meant to be serving Giritari, Govinda, Gopal, Gopina. So the Vishnu Dudas are going to, so to speak, move Gopakumar on. <laughs> They're going to tell him, go back down to earth. You were born in Brudge. Go back to Brudge. <laughs> and we'll take things from there. <laughs> so we should think, 
how it is that by steadfastly engaging in Krishna's service, there's always help for me, even in situations that look very bleak and full of despair. There's a team, a Vaikuntha team, especially deputed to help devotees. Now often we don't see that. We see devotees undergo situations which look very painful, very calamitous, but we don't see what goes on in their inner consciousness. People don't see the Vishnu Dutas. Gopakumar was able to. Ajamil saw them in his unconscious state at the time of death. So it's so wonderful to learn the whole transcendental system. So that's why Parvati, who is accompanying Lord Shiva, tells Ganesh, let Gopakumar see what's going on. <laughs> let him see the Vaikuntha teamwork that enters even into the material world. So Gopakumar, as we said, saw countless universes and countless Vishnu-dudas entering into those universes. One last point about fear. We discussed how it's not only the bullocks that have a ring in their nose and the rope and the driver and the bullocks are operating under fear. Conditioned souls also have rings in their nose with ropes attached. And you have your Ishwars above you, your mini Ishwars. And you fear them. Well, you say, I'm not afraid. Just because I have a boss, or I have a government over me, or the tax department, I'm not afraid. I don't feel fearful. But you see, you're complying. And you're complying, not out of love. <laughs> That's fear. Do this or else. So you have to think about these situations deeply. Yet, although we're submitting to so many systems of control, out of fear, we resent the authority of the Supreme Personality of God. We like to feel, I'm an adult. I don't need any childish sentiments that there's some kind of supreme chaperone or supreme security agent monitoring all my movements. We have this notion, and I'll mention it just briefly. We have this notion that there is such a thing as free, uninhibited, non-reactive, material happiness. No reactions, it's just something that exists as a pure substance, material happiness, material gratification. If I can just get it, we don't understand it's like tar. You ever get any, sometimes in India you get some tar on your shoes and you carry it onto your clothes or something, it's so impossible to get out, you know? Maybe you sat on a rickshaw or something and you got some black tar on your clothes. This happens, right? You can't get it out no matter what you do. 
in fact, you have to rip the cloth to try to cleanse it. <laughs> so material involvement is like that. It's sticky stuff. <laughs> it's like tar. But in our mind, we imagine it's pure, it's unentangled, it's mm, not subject to reactions, or maybe a little bit, but nothing that I can't handle. I was walking at the beach the other day, and I was studying one little dog who its master had allowed to get ahead. And the dog was happy. You could see the dog was having a, such a good time, running here, running there, running into the water, paddling in the water a little bit, running back out on the beach. The dog was in delight. <laughs> But what's going to happen sooner or later? Back on the leash. <laughs> so we're like that. Oh, I'm on a good wicket. Oh. I've got a promotion. I, I, I'm set up. So you look at the little dog and you know this dog is an illusion. Just because the master let the dog off the leash for a few moments and the dog is so happy prancing on the sand and jumping in the water and going back out of the sand and going in the water. I was watching. I was thinking, this is what we're like in material existence. <laughs> Just a few seconds of so-called exhilaration, so-called good times, and we become so proud, right? We become so attached. We forget that everything is subject to control, especially material happiness. It's all bound up. It's all constrained, tied up. It's all reactive, meaning subject to reactions. Coming from reactions and causing more reactions. So how do you drive this point into your head? It takes knowledge to dispel the ignorance that is covering us. This is why Krishna says in Bhagavad Gita that transcendental knowledge is like a boat that can carry you across the ocean of material existence. You have to know what's going on. You have to know what you're doing. And that takes knowledge. Otherwise, the illusion is so blinding. Just like this little dog at the beach. That little dog I could see. He or she knew, oh, this is great. How could you say such a creature is not conscious? Oh, I could see the dog's face. I was on the pier. But I was looking down, I could see the dog was actually had a smile on his face. <laughs> the tail was wagging. I'm off the leech. <laughs> there's water, there's sand, I can run here, run there. It was just zooming this way, zooming that way. No, no fixed agenda, but just, I'm free. <laughs> I'm happy. <laughs> I'm finding happiness within myself. <laughs> so I was thinking, this is what we're like. We're bought off so easily. 
are so fortunate to have this Srimad Bhagavatam knowledge. And you're hearing directly from Yamaraj, who's clarifying the situation to his faithful servitors who are angry, full of despair, and even contemplating suicide. <laughs> All right, any questions? Yes? Opportunity to elevate themselves. Brahmana has six duties to study the Vedic literature and teach others the Vedic literature, to worship the deity and teach others how to worship the deity and to receive charity and give charity. When all that is done in relation, directly in relation to Krishna, then you have a Vaishnava Brahman. So Prabhupada in this sentence you pointed out, where he writes, the point is that every human being is expected to elevate himself to the position of a Brahmana, the most intelligent man, and then one must transcend that position to become a Vaishnava. This is the perfection of life. He's talking about a gradual pro process, which may take more than one lifetime. But the special dispensation in the age of Kali is chanting Hare Krishna. For those who seriously take to the chanting of Hare Krishna, their progress accelerates beyond what you normally read about in the Vedas. So this is another instruction of Yamaraj that he'll make. That the Vedas and their flowery words of punya, pious activity, elevation to the heavenly planets, they can be bewildering as Krishna says in the Gita, because you think this is the ultimate, when actually just one effective chanting of the holy name far surpasses all these Vedic rituals and yajyas and austerities and penances and pious activities. So we're offering a chance for everyone to dedicate themselves to chanting Hare Krishna. This is another point that the Vishnu Dudas told Gopal Kumar. They told him, just give up all this Vedic ritualistic lifestyle. Not that he was doing that, but they're just speaking each other. Give that up. Give up Mahakalapura. Give up this abode of impersonalism and just focus on the holy name. Not simply focus on the holy name in a mechanical way, but focus on the holy name for 
reviving our intimate relationship with Krishna. So there's a difference between just mechanical chanting and chanting with preeti, with affection. So we're aspiring to chant with affection. So there are different stages of chanting. In the beginning, you chant your 16 rounds because you must. Hopefully everyone chants their 16 rounds, but we know that there are cases where that doesn't happen. But without that duty stage of chanting, in which you do the prescribed quantity, what's the question of quality? First, there must be the integrity of chanting according to your vow. All the six Goswamis of Vrindavan chanted according to vows. They didn't chant as much as Haridas Thakur because they were busy writing books. But they chanted a fixed number. So for us, that fixed number must be there as evidence of integrity. We chant according to vow. And that integrity of fulfilling the vow is part of the quality. As once you properly execute your prescribed quantity, the minimum quantity, you, once you have that kind of quality, then you can proceed for deepening the affection. So sometimes devotees make the mistake of thinking that chanting according to their vow, minimum 16 rounds a day, has nothing to do with quality. That's not so. First, there must be integrity, honesty. And then you can move into deeper quality, which is chanting, calling out to Radha and Krishna for their service. Anything else? Yes? Um, my experience about how there's a reckless being You explain about how this Vaikuntha team is engaged in helping us. Is that help referring to the end of life or is it a day to day basis? Whenever they want. They're not restricted to just coming at the end of life. Just like when Krishna says in Bhagavad Gita, Janma Karma Chame Divyam Evam Yoveti Takrata Chapta Dehum Panar Janma Naiti Mameti Sarjuna. If you understand the transcendental reality of Krishna's appearance in this world and his activities, if you know that science accurately, then chakta deham, upon giving up the present body, you don't take another body, you go to Krishna. So this is just emphasis, this verse is emphasizing the last stage of life, but it doesn't mean that you have nothing to do with Krishna before then. 
It's just Krishna's emphasizing the last moment. Chakra deham, kunarjanma. But ma meta, you come to me. But that can happen during life also in the particular body. So it's not that the Vishnu Dudas are restricted to coming only at the time of death. So Ganesh was showing Gopakumar because they're outside of the material universes. He's showing them. He's showing him. Look at the Vishnu Dudas entering all these countless universes to help Vaishnavas. In fact, to help anyone who has even just chanted one time and even just a reflection of chanting. It's amazing. It's, it's an extraordinary cosmological vision. <laughs> Anything else? Yes? So she asks that she knows Bhagavad Gita, Shuti Nam Srimatam Gay, Yoga Vrasta Pajayati, that devotees who somehow they don't complete their progress in this lifetime, they take birth in the family of Shuti, Brahmana family, or Shivata, wealthy family. So she asks, who decides if someone takes birth in that situation, or they go back to Gaia. Mm -hmm. So you took birth in a <clears throat> devotee family? So you want to know who decided? <laughs> <laughs> well, you're looking for something else? <laughs> you want to be born in a wild family? <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> The child doesn't even know who his father. <laughs> hmm. Krishna's in the heart. As he says in Bhagavad Gita, Ishvar Sabhutanam Ritesha Arjuna Tishpati. I'm in your heart, I'm directing your wanderings. So Yamaraj doesn't have anything to do with those who have engaged even in a little bit of devotional service. So Krishna sends them to their appropriate destinations, whether in the family of pious persons or wealthy persons or family of devotees. Which one were you? Pious, wealthy, family of devotees, or all three? Huh? Family devotees, okay. <laughs> They're billionaires in bhakti, right? <laughs> That's Krishna's arrangement. So you have such a glorious opportunity. I've heard that children of devotees don't like to be told, you have such a glorious opportunity. <laughs> they feel the pressure on them. Have you heard that? 
Uh, she says yes. <laughs> Thank you for your honesty. So I want to live my life. I know you won't say that, but often children of devotees say to their parents, you went through material life first and then came to Bhakti. <laughs> Why can't I do the same? <laughs> yes, you've heard that? Yes, he says yes. <laughs> so they don't like to hear that. Oh, and you're, you're glorifying them, you're trying to encourage them. Oh, you have such a wonderful opportunity. You must have done so much devotional service in your past life. Oh, if only, if only I could have had such an opportunity. They don't like hearing that because it, it feels like pressure. <laughs> so yes, it's a strange world. <laughs> so again, in answer to your question, Krishna is in the heart. He's directing the wanderings of all living entities, especially of those who've done some service, even if that service is incomplete. They didn't complete their bhakti in one lifetime or the previous lifetime. Just look at the chances that Ajahnil's getting. Instead of going to the court of Yamaraj, he gets a second chance to fix his mind more on the Supreme Personality Godhead. And then when the fruit is ripe, the Vishnu Dudas come and they take him back to Vaikuntha. So you have your chance now. We'll watch and see what you're going to do. <laughs> How old are you now? Ten. Soon you'll be a teenager. <laughs> are you looking forward to being a teenager? No. Why not? <laughs> so you're going to be like the four Kumaras and keep yourself always youthful. <laughs> Anything else? Way in the back. Hare Krishna Maharaj. Thank you so much for the message. Uh, my, uh, like, I have so much of the mentioning of uh, Yamdutas, who are serving of Yamdutas. Thank you so much for serving of Yamdutas. So, I'm, I'm just curious, is there any mention about Krishna Yamdutas? What was the last one? Is there anything mentioned about Yamdutas? Krishna Yamdutas. Yes, I don't are for Vaikuntha. <laughs> they have the liberation of Sarupya, the same form as Vishnu. You know, you know about the liberations, yes? So they have that particular liberation. Going to Krishna Loka is slightly different. That's a special region. Under Krishna's personal supervision. So in Brihapagavatamrita, when you read about Gopakumar going to Galoka Vrindavan, there are no Vishnu Dutas involved. He just appears there due to his pure desire. He appears in the forest of Braj. And then he hears the cowherd boys and Krishna coming from afar. 
And Krishna recognizes him. Oh, my long lost friend. Anything else? Yes. Time of death is very special. It's true that he was calling his son, Narayan, calling out to his son. And so that was all being, how do you say, accounted for. And the, because he did it at the last moment of his life, that triggered everything. Because the last moment of life was very special. As Krishna explains in Bhagavad Gita. But for a devotee who is practicing bhakti, you don't have to wait till the moment of death for your going to Krishna. Because devotional service is the spiritual world. I was reading how earlier in the sixth canto, Srila Prabhupada writes that for one who steadfastly serves Krishna through this Krishna consciousness movement, the perfection is already there. You're already in Vaikuntha. Just like when Prabhupada came to Melbourne, he said, This is this temple is not Mel it's not Melbourne. For those who are simply acting for Krishna's pleasure, this is Vaikuntha. And then he went further. No, this is Goloka Vrindavan. So bhakti, devotional service, has that kind of potential. There's no difference, as you read in the very end of the second chapter of Bhagavad Gita, in the purport, there's no difference between devotional service and the kingdom of God. This is the realization we're aspiring for. Yes? Maharaja, um, with the Vishnu Guttas, they are entering the different universes. Um, in what way are they helping the living entities there, and in what way are they helping us in this universe? As I explained, life in this material world is full of obstacles and impediments. That's the only thing a real devotee is afraid of. I don't want my service obstructed. I don't want my devotional service impeded. So when those kind of situations arise for such a devotee whose only fear is I don't want my service interfered with, I don't want my service blocked. For that kind of devotee, the Vishnu Dutas help. They help you to persist, to persevere, and rise above the obstacles and impediments that normally arise in this world. So they're not just waiting until the time of death. 
Of course, a devotee has to have the knowledge and realization to understand that help because you won't see the Vishnu do this. <laughs> but this is the exquisiteness, the wonderfulness of what Ganesh is showing Gopu Kumar. Look at all these universes. See all the Vishnu dutas entering within them to help devotees. Yes? Now you are old lady, you are being bhakti, so my niece and nephews, if they say, let us enjoy, how can I come? <laughs> Everyone heard that? She was saying that her nieces and nephews tell her, you're an old lady, that's why you're doing bhakti, but previously you probably enjoyed so much, so let us enjoy also. You can tell them that devotional service is so precious that it shouldn't wait for anything. You should take the best immediately. And you can tell them whatever delay there was in your taking up bhakti, you regret. Why? Put off what is the best. If they're so materially inclined, you can give them a material example. You're an 18 year old, you're able to drive a car. Someone comes driving up in front of your house with a brand new top model Mercedes and says, Here, this is yours. And what does the 18-year-old child say? Well, first I want to drive a junkie car so that I can then build up appreciation for the Mercedes. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone would say, you're crazy. No one will do that. <laughs> ah, an 18-year-old driving a top-level Mercedes. Oh, it doesn't get better than this. <laughs> That's what the teenager would think. <laughs> but because of a lack of appreciation of the superlative nature of devotional service, someone can say like that. So the best we can do is show by our example, be patient, and have a sense of knowing that sometimes things take time. Don't expect just because they're, that they're in your family that they're going to be saints overnight. <laughs> Way in the back, yes. You'll have to speak very loud or someone will have to repeat what you're saying because you're on the last row. Uh, as we try to accumulate more material energy with 
when it comes to practical, even we try to not accumulate, but uh, mind goes there. Like, you know, uh, after retirement, when you get old, you try to accumulate that uh, after uh, reading so much and listening so much, why can't we stop at one point? Why can't we stop what? You should accumulate, and what should you accumulate is the question. You should accumulate devotional service. Be greedy. I've got to have more service. Is there any way in my busy life I could add more devotional service? And there are nine processes of devotional service. Or looked at another way, what does the Bhagavatam say? Pranayar, artayar, dhyaya, vacha. You can give all your life's energies. You can give your wealth. You can give your intelligence by always thinking how to engage people in Krishna's service. And but you can give your words. That is what you should accumulate. So we need to understand what is real wealth. And keep our vision fixed on that. The prize that we keep our eyes fixed on is devotional service. All right. Yes, last question. Maharaj, just uh, continuing with that question, uh, what does stop us from uh, accumulating bhakti, even though theoretically we know this is what needs to be done? And then we still keep on accumulating materialism only. Keep on accumulating what? Materialism, even though we know it is important. Go to work to give Krishna to yourself, to your family, and as much of the world as your resources allow. You like to work? Okay. Work to give Krishna. That'll be the perfection of your work life. Otherwise, simply to go to work, just to go to work for... And sometimes you don't even get more reward for your more work. What is the point? Always be thinking, how is Krishna profiting from what I'm doing? Krishna is the real employer. Feel the ring in your nose of acting for Krishna's pleasure. Don't make the mistake of acting as an independent enjoyer, thinking you're the maintainer. <laughs> Think about that little dog at the beach. <laughs> in its own bubble, the little dog was in its own little world. But you, with knowledge, know better. Similarly, base your life upon knowledge and always be thinking at every moment, how can Krishna get pleasure from what I'm doing? At home, at work, and then your life is successful. Thank you very much. Hare Krishna.